you are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Today on the show, we will talk all things college football with Matt Smith from Southern Pigskin. Com. Looking forward to talking uh, some college football with him, some SEC with him. We've got a handful of games, six games in the conference coming up this weekend, so we will preview those with him. Also, later in the show, we're going to talk with Zach Blackerby, who hosts a Locked on Auburn. We'll get the feeling from the Auburn fans. Are they excited about where they are right now? Are they happy at 3-2? and two? Everybody else is pointing at them and saying, you get help from the refs just about every week, so we'll Discuss that with uh, our buddy Zach Blackerby. You don't want to miss that. I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the Locked On SEC podcast. We're here for you five days a week talking all things SEC and SEC football and happy to be doing so. And uh, a lot of things going on in the SEC. Real quick, got to mention the uh, news coming out of Mississippi State that the uh, expectation is that Mississippi State star running back Kylan Hill will not play again this season, and that he's just going to begin prepping for the NFL draft. He ran for over 1,300 yards last season, was first-team All-SEC. So some disappointing news there for Mississippi State Bulldog fans who, I mean, just talk about crashing down from where you were week one in this conference to where you are now as 30, 31-point underdogs at Alabama this week. It is just been night and day from where they were after that upset of LSU in week one and KJ Costello man I, I eat crow after saying he was in my Heisman conversation in week one I mean they got through for 600 yards and now you know benched at times for Will Rogers it is uh, unbelievable what has happened in Starkville so we'll get uh, we'll get our guys thoughts on that when we catch up with Zach Blackerby as well as our buddy uh, Matt Smith coming up here in just a moment just one more quick thought on the continued fallout of Lane Kiffin. We mentioned uh, he was taken to social media the past couple of days and talking about the the fallout of getting fined by the SEC. And uh, Lane didn't realize, I guess we had to educate him, there's 100 pennies is a dollar. So if you're fined $25,000, that's not 25,000 pennies, but... I digress. Lane got a little bit of a math lesson here the last couple of days on social media. But I, I've seen a lot of people come out and say they're long tired of officials and, and referees getting an immunity, basically, from having to answer for their actions. And, you know, the SEC, I think they that's where they could be a little bit more open and honest moving forward is when they do get a play wrong. Look, just come out and say you got it wrong. I think the public is more accepting to say, look, we get it. It's a tough job you guys are, are, are in and you try to get the calls right. But to shut it down and find people who talk bad about them, meaning the coaches, I think is absolutely insane. So I think if we get anything next year in you know throughout SEC media days and the SEC meetings, I think next year we're going to have a little bit more transparency. We saw this in the NBA. You know, they put out a two-minute report a couple years ago. They started, you know, basically they go back and review all the calls by the referees in the final two minutes, and they'll admit, hey, we missed this call. It should have been a foul, or hey, this wasn't a foul, whatever. But at least they're doing that, and it shows some bit of ownership. There is no ownership from the SEC referees saying, you know, we should have reviewed the play. I mean, you come out and issue an apology after the fact, but then you tell Lane Kiffin, you better not talk about this or you're going to be fined. You better not post about it on social media or you're going to be fined. I just think that Greg Sankey in the SEC office needs to look at this moving forward and just a little bit more transparency. Look, you're going to get plays wrong at times, but 
at least uh, at least be open and honest with your fans about it. All right, let's uh, get him in here so we can get uh, two segments with him. Our buddy Matt Smith from SouthernPigskin.com. Looking forward to uh, talking with him. Matt, how are you, man? I am doing great. Yeah, I guess maybe a bit of a sleepy weekend in the SEC this past <laughs> weekend, but again, I'm still just, just thrilled we're having football at all. And yeah, get back to a six-game slate this coming weekend and should be a great stretch run as we're already in the uh, the second half of the schedule for most of the SEC teams. I want to start with uh, the big news that's come out within the last uh, day or so here with uh, obviously Auburn has gotten the benefit of the doubt with a couple of calls here throughout this season and they've just been been in big moments. I think to week one against Kentucky where you know Kentucky gets in for a touchdown, they don't call it, the next play is you know picks or nearly a pick six and interception the other way and then of course the Arkansas game with the, the spike slash fumble that they don't call a fumble it's a spike and so Auburn wins that game against Arkansas and then this past weekend against Ole Miss where it looks like uh, the Auburn player touches the ball goes into the end zone but they don't review it and now the fallout Lane Kiffin having a hissy fit on Twitter what do you make of these calls I mean obviously it's it's just ironic that these calls have happened but Auburn has benefited from them Right, and I mean, that's Auburn football through the years. If any uh, program in the league has that mag- magic rabbit's foot or whatever superstitious item you might have, it's, it's Auburn. You've been going back to 2013 and some of those miracles they had. But, yeah, I think the most frustrating thing for me, and I think for fans certainly of, of Ole Miss and Arkansas over the past few weeks, is just the procedural failures um, we've seen. First, I think more so last week, even as to why the official on the field never reviewed it. Maybe they looked at it upstairs or in Birmingham, um, but given how many plays they review these days, to not take a couple minutes there and analyze that, and you know, maybe it would end up, okay, this is inconclusive. We're not sure if it really did touch Sean Shivers. We're going to stick with the ruling of a touchback. Um, okay, if you do that and you're not 100% certain, that's okay. I think that's the reasonable interpretation of that play. Um, but the fact that they didn't even stop the game to look at it, I think, was really frustrating given the situation, the fourth quarter, a one-point game, I believe, at that time. Um, that's disappointing. You know, the Arkansas game a couple weeks ago, I think, again, they had in their mind what was going to happen and that Bo Nix was going to spike the ball, like we've seen so many times in football over the years, a basic spike. Um, and then he bobbled the ball, threw it behind him, and just the natural reaction was, all right, let's blow the whistle, make sure we stop the clock. Um, obviously, you're focused on getting a quick whistle in those late-game situations, so no extra seconds run off. And they completely ignored the fact um, that the spike was a, a lateral, a backwards pass, and should have been an Arkansas recovery. So, um, yeah, I think the procedural mistakes is what's most frustrating. Again, if you don't agree with the call, if you thought Sean Shivers touched the ball and they had gone to the booth and ruled that it was inconclusive or sticking with the touchback, I think that's okay. But, you know, you got to be pay attention to detail in those rules. Make sure your, your procedures are being followed to the letter of the law. And I think the SEC has failed to do that in a couple of those instances. I've kind of been asking everybody this, but why is it a rule that you get fined if you criticize the referees? I mean, in, in any other job, I mean, you know, if you have a boss or whatever, it's it's not illegal to criticize when necessary. I, I just don't understand the stipulation of, hey, I think you guys are wrong. Well, yeah, we'll admit we were wrong, but don't you tell everybody we were wrong and don't you talk about it or we're fining you. It just seems really silly. 
Agreed. And personal attacks on an individual referee, you know, I think that might cross the line. But the stuff Lane Kiffin's doing on Twitter, that's just Lane Kiffin on social media. <laughs> it's for the most part funny, him trying to do bad math last night to figure out how many pennies <laughs> he would need to, to cover his $25,000 fine and take him to his third opportunity before he actually got it right. But yeah, I don't know if that's a thing where they worry about the supply of officials. You know, I, I know we see it at the high school level where there, I think there is a dearth of officials that want to go through that and listen to coaches yell at them all game maybe they're hesitant to put their coaches through that um publicly at least and they're gonna you know take a pretty hard stance on anyone who criticizes them so yeah i've thought about that for a while over the past few years as to why they are so strict about that and can't just take it for what it is again as long as it doesn't devolve into into personal attacks on the individual official um, but yeah, that's the only theory I could think of is they're just worried about, all right, we're not going to do this anymore if we're just going to keep getting yelled at by coaches and you need good officials. Um, we see the gap from the NFL to college. Um, there's better officiating in the NFL period. And as those supply, that supply dries up and more college guys want to go to the NFL, um, that could make the officiating even worse than it is now. So that's the only real theory I have on that. Um, but, yeah, I don't get the fine for what Lane Kiffin did, especially knowing how Lane Kiffin uses social media, how he's done it through the years. Um, obviously frustrated, but for the most part, just having fun with it and trying to get a laugh. More with Matt Smith right after this. One day closer to the weekend and one day closer to me spending all of Saturday sitting on my couch watching SEC football and relaxing with a Coors Light. Coors Light is my beer of choice. It should be yours as well. And they want you to know, no matter what sport you're watching, no matter what your team is, if you're a big SEC fan, if you're an Auburn fan, Georgia fan, whatever, Saturdays, that's your time to chill. It doesn't matter what game you're watching. Coors Light, the official beer that is made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged, and crisp and refreshing, just like the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. It is the beer that I choose when I need to unwind. So you want to hit when you want to hit the reset button, you got to reach for the beer that's made to chill, and that is Coors Light. And we've been telling you you can get Coors Light delivered directly to your door. That is at get.coorslight.com. Head to the website. You will have Coors Light on your doorstep before you know it. Don't even need to leave the house. How great is that? Remember to celebrate responsibly, and remember to pick up a Coors Light on your way home and get ready for the weekend. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Look, we're at the point in the college football season where maybe you're starting to get a little flab, starting to get a little bit more of a gut because you're sitting around, you're eating a lot of junk food, watching all the games, and you're wondering, hey, it's getting colder outside. I can't go out for that evening run or afternoon run anymore. You need to make some better choices with your life, and you need to make some good choices when eating, and it's got to start with the Built Bar. We've been telling you about getting the best-tasting protein bar ever, and that is Built Bar. Six new flavors out there, including the cookies and cream. That's my favorite. They've got all the 12 original flavors like toffee almond, coconut, peanut butter brownie, whatever it is. Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, but the best thing about them, they are low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and they will give you that boost that you need. Try them for me today. You need to go to the website, BuiltBar.com, and you can use our promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you will get 20% off your next order. So go use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Order these today, guys. I guarantee you will not regret it. BuiltBar.com. Continuing our conversation with Matt Smith, 
on Twitter at MattSmithCFB. And of course, uh, writer at SouthernPigskin.com covers uh, college football as a whole, but uh, writes a lot about the uh, SEC. He's got a piece up right now recapping the weekend that was in the SEC. All right, Matt. I I don't know if one team has fallen from grace more, Matt, since week one than Mississippi State. I mean, everybody is singing the praises of Mike Leach, patting him on the back, saying, what a great win. You beat the national champs in their house in Death Valley. And ever since then, it has just been uh, unraveling and unraveling disaster ever since. Quarterback issues with K.J. Costello. Is he going to start him? Is he going to start Will Rogers? And then the big news here in the last day or so, uh, uh, Kylan Hill just been absent, been gone. And now the news coming out that their star running back will not play again the rest of this season. He's going to just prepare for the NFL draft. What do you make of the first few weeks of the Mike Leach era at Mississippi State? It's been a wild ride, and you know Mike Leach is who he is. We know that through the years. He's not going to change who he is just coming into the SEC from a from a place like the Pac-12 where it's very different culturally and a very different level of uh, of care, I guess, for the game of football and, and how much importance is placed on it, and he's not changing. Um, and it would be kind of interesting to look back if Dave Aranda was still at LSU and actually had a competent defensive game plan that day and maybe held Mississippi State to 20 points or something, and LSU wins that game, as we kind of thought, by 14 points. Um, this would be a complete mess right now. Um, it's not looking good, and it's only been, I guess, a month or so since that uh, since that LSU win for the Bulldogs. But, yeah, I think Barry Odom kind of showed the game plan that Washington used for so many years and their dominance of Washington State. Um, just sit back in the zone, let the quarterback uh, kind of tackle the catch, of course. Don't give up the big plays. Don't give up a ton of yards after catch. Um, you know, I think we saw Texas A&M follow that plan. We saw Kentucky follow that plan. And I think we'll see that for the rest of the year. Um, you know, it's just a big transition for that offense, particularly in the pass blocking. And now you lose a guy like Kylan Hill. It, it, it's a mess right now. I know they have Vanderbilt coming up in a few weeks, which should be a get-right game for them. Um, but right now, I would put the over-under at two and a half for their win total, and I'd be inclined to take the under. And, and, and that's quite a mess. You know, it's going to be a year zero, I think, for a lot of the first-year guys particularly Leach and Kiffin. Um, but, you know, we wondered about the cultural fit with him there in the SEC. How would his blocking schemes work against much better defensive lines than many ever faced um, in the Pac-12? And I think those concerns are very much coming to fruition here over the past couple of weeks. Um, but again, playing Alabama and Vanderbilt, I think, is, are their next two games not going to learn much. Um, but as they get into the bagger half the schedule, they'll see Auburn, they'll see some, they'll see Ole Miss, they'll see Missouri, some more winnable games. Um, that maybe they can get this thing turned around. But again, it's a mess right now. And I think we saw some of this coming, but the fall from grace from week one to now heading into their fifth game, I guess, this weekend, uh, it, it's pretty startling. The, the early game in the SEC this week, I'm a little disappointed. It's an 11 a.m. Central, 12 Eastern game. I wish it was a night game in Lexington, but number five, Georgia goes to Kentucky. We saw Kentucky's defense really good for two weeks, and then this past week against Mizzou, they, Mizzou moved the ball all over on them and played ball control. Kentucky's offense has not been good the last couple of weeks, and now they're playing one of the best defenses in the country. On the flip side, Georgia with a week off after their beating, you know, in the second half of, by by the at the hands of Alabama. There was some talk. Maybe do they make make it an open competition at quarterback? But you know, quotes from uh, Kirby this week say he's standing by Stetson Bennett. They think he's the quarterback and he can get the job done. Uh, do you think they should give JT Daniels a little bit more of a look or Dewan Mathis and kind of make it an open competition? Or do you believe in standing by Stetson Bennett? 
I just don't know what's going on with JT Daniels, honestly. Kirby's been so coy about that, whether he's truly 100% cleared or is he, is he just getting beaten out by Bennett and or Mathis? Um, you know, from what I saw at USC, I think he absolutely has the highest feeling of any quarterback on that roster. And if your goal is to get back to Atlanta and to take another shot at Alabama and ultimately beat them, um, I think Daniels is the guy. You know, we saw Bennett hang in there for a half in Tuscaloosa. But when in 2020 football, when you have a great offense going up against a great defense, uh, the great offense wins. You know, that for me, growing up in the 90s, when those things, when you had that collision, um, the great defense usually won. That's how I was raised growing up watching football, but that has totally done a complete 180. And Georgia's going to have to score, you know, probably at least 35, 38 points if they want to have a shot against Alabama. And I just don't think Stetson Bennett can do that for 60 minutes. Um, you know, missed a lot of deep balls, being a smaller guy, had some struggles in the pocket. Um, and I think Daniels does raise that ceiling where if he is on, that's probably Georgia's only opportunity to win that game. Do I think Stetson Bennett's good enough to beat Florida in a couple weeks and get back to Atlanta? Absolutely. Um, you know, playing well, has a pretty good command of that offense. But if their goal, and uh, they're probably not going to get to the playoff now that they have one loss without beating Alabama, um, you're going to have to go toe-for-toe with that offense like Ole Miss did for four quarters before ultimately falling short. Um, So I think, again, if that's the goal, we need to see what's going on with Daniels. But I just don't have a great sense of whether he is 100% healthy or if he's just getting beaten out. Because, again, from what I saw at USC, he absolutely has the highest ceiling of any quarterback on that roster. Yeah, I, I think they can get it done with Stetson Bennett against Kentucky. I just, man, Kentucky's going to have to open up the offensive playbook, trick plays or something to keep it close with that Georgia defense because they are they are really, really stout. What about the, like, when I look at all the games in the SEC this week, Matt, they're all double-digit, um, you know, lines with the exception of LSU-Auburn, and I couldn't believe that LSU opens as a favorite at Auburn, and as it stands right now, they're still a three-point favorite. I, again, LSU started the true freshman quarterback, T.J. Finley. He was really impressive last week against South Carolina, but I still got big questions on this LSU defense, and I know Auburn doesn't look like a world beater, but they're at home. Exactly. I, I don't know if they're pointing to the series history there. You know, Obviously, LSU has been a huge thorn in Auburn's side, as, as has Georgia over the past few years. Um, I believe if LSU wins the game on Saturday, it'll drop Auburn to 1-9 and nine in their last 10 against LSU and Georgia. As well as Gus has really played against Alabama, winning three of the last four home games in the Iron Bowl, um, he cannot figure out Georgia and LSU, and, and that's that's why there's so much frustration, I think, on the Plains with Gus, despite having a pretty good record and a couple of SEC West titles. But yeah, a really interesting game. Again, we don't know if Miles Brennan will be out there. I think he's probably still the guy, but from what we saw from T.J. Finley last week, I think, A, it probably raises the bar for Brennan's health to be able to send him back out there. I hate putting percentages on health. I never really know what that means. Um, But maybe he needs to be 90% now to send him out there against Auburn instead of 80. And also for Brennan, I think it definitely puts more pressure on him going from a situation where there was really probably no confidence in the guys behind him two weeks ago um, to now that they've seen that proof of concept with T.J. Finley and LSU putting up 52 points on South Carolina. now that's going to have Brennan, you know, more focused on detail, knowing there's a guy behind it who the coaching staff has seen and trusts. So if there are a couple big mistakes, um, he's more apt to get replaced. So I think those are the two things to watch for LSU. But yeah, with that line, 
I think the series history might be playing into it and probably a bit less of a home field advantage than you would normally see, obviously, for Auburn here in 2020. But, but yeah, LSU by three on the road after you know not looking good at Missouri, but obviously bouncing back pretty well. A bit of a surprise. I thought that'd be probably right around the pick em, but uh, we'll see where it ultimately settles. But a fascinating, fascinating game, certainly, between the pair of Tigers. Yeah, I fully expect that game to be in, like, the 40s. That's the only explanation for 2020 uh, SEC football. It's like 45-41 or something. Uh, Alabama, they're heavy favorite at home against Mississippi State. We already mentioned the Bulldogs' issues, but uh, how big of a loss is Jalen Waddle? I mean, I, I don't think it's a big loss for the rest of Alabama's regular season schedule. I just, like you said, you look at maybe the SEC championship, that's a guy you need to make plays for you, and especially when they get into the playoff, if you're facing Ohio State or Clemson, Jalen Waddle's a guy who can flip the field, get a big return for you. Uh, how big is that loss for Bama? Yeah, not much disagreement with how you laid that out, Chris. It, it's not going to matter over the next month. There's no one on the rest of their regular season schedule that's going to test them. Um, but to say this is just a situation where Alabama is replacing one five-star with another five-star, I don't think that's fair to Jalen Waddle. Uh, he's as, as an electric a player as we've seen in this conference in the past few years, both on offense and, of course, on special teams. Um, so as good as John Mechie has looked, and we saw Slade Bolden really get his first significant action, Last weekend at Tennessee, um, again, they'll be fine, but Alabama's goals go much above and beyond just getting to Atlanta and playing for an SEC title. Um, it's beaten Georgia again. It's beaten Clemson. It's beaten Ohio State. And, and they are definitely going to miss Waddle. And I thought Alabama was probably the favorite to win it all um, before Waddle's injury. And I might have to you know, knock them down a notch below Clemson. Not significantly, um, but it's a factor just because of how he can change a game in one play. And I hate to see that, and being a junior, we presume his career now with Alabama um, is over. But what a fun player to watch over the past two and a half years and, and hated to have it in like that. Last thing for you, Matt, if uh, I told you, I mean, we got two games, two night games in the conference, both top 10 teams at home, both double-digit favorites. If we had to put one of them on upset alert, Arkansas at number 8 A&M or Mizzou at number 10 Florida, which one would you say is on upset alert? Whew. As impressed as I've been with Arkansas and just how competent they look both on the field and, and from a coaching staff perspective, I think I'd give Missouri a slightly better shot just because of the uncertainties we, we have with Florida coming off their long break. Still not putting a good game together on defense. You know, I, I presume Kyle Pitts is mostly back to normal after having that kind of a cranky ankle um, that limited him against Texas A&M. But just because of the uncertainties surrounding Florida, I think I'd give Missouri a slightly better chance, but I am fascinated to see Arkansas um, going up against a team with probably a bit larger of a talent gap than we saw against Ole Miss in state where they've gotten their two wins. But I definitely think it's a game Arkansas can compete. And for A&M, um, you know, they've gotten the Alabama game behind them. They got their big win against Florida. And we hear some talk about can they go 9-1 and one and maybe get in the playoff. I'm not going to go there with A&M. Um, there's no real one team that stands out to say, hey, yeah, they're definitely going to beat A&M, but there's a lot of tricky games um, for them with Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, South Carolina coming up. It's just hard for me to see them going 6-0. and 5-1, and one, I believe, um, but I just can't see them running the table. But, yeah, to your original question, Chris, I'd, I'd still lean with Missouri, but that's more that says more about Florida with the uncertainty and the lack of defensive success we've seen from them in their first three games. Matt Smith, you could follow him on Twitter at MattSmithCFB. I love reading your stuff. Let our listeners know what uh, they could find at southernpigskin.com. 
Yep, we focus on, I'm pretty much SEC-focused, but we cover the SEC, ACC, and Sunbelt. Obviously, the Sunbelt's having a great year with teams like Lafayette um, or Louisiana. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody. They're Louisiana. Um, <laughs> I went to LSU. State, they're, they're ULL, Matt. They are ULL. I don't. Oh, I, I I haven't converted yet. It took me a while to go from Central Florida to UCF. I'm good there now, but it's going to take me a couple of years to just say Louisiana. As long as there's a Louisiana Monroe, I can't just give the Louisiana title to Lafayette. I just can't do that. So, uh, yeah, plenty of SEC, ACC, Sun Belt coverage. I'll have my SEC weekend primer up Thursday morning for the uh, the six game slate this weekend. Long recap on Sunday of what we saw on the weekend and kind of spinning that forward into what's coming up the rest of the. The season and Twitter as well at Matt Smith CFB. If you want to hit me up there, um, believe it or not, at Matt Smith was not available when I joined Twitter. Who would have thought that with a name like mine? Um, but yeah, I love hearing the conversations from you guys, the fans, and uh, so glad we're b- being able to talk football this year after uh, it looked pretty grim there for a couple weeks, a couple months back. I'm with you there, my friend, Matt Smith. Thanks so much for the time, man. We'll have to do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Chris. Enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Matt Smith there of uh, southernpigskin.com does a fantastic job. And again, on Twitter, at Matt Smith CFB. Really uh, enjoy reading his stuff when it comes to the SEC. When we return, we'll talk all things Auburn with our buddy Zach Blackerby, who hosts Locked on Auburn. How nervous are the Auburn fans for the LSU game? And how excited should they be that they're 3-2, and two, getting a little help from the referees so far this season? That conversation next. here on Locked on SEC and real excited to catch up with our buddy Zach Blackerby, of course, host of Locked on Auburn and a lot of talk with the Auburn Tigers these days. Not so much because of their winning, but maybe because the referees and maybe some no calls going their way in some of these games. A lot of focus on the Auburn Tigers and obviously the the game of the week in the SEC when we talk about closest point spread is LSU and Auburn this weekend. So Zach joins us now. Zach, uh, what's going on, man? Have you been keeping up with Lane Kiffin's tweets as of late? Yeah, how many pennies do you think he's up to? Getting fined twenty five <laughs> grand, and he wants to pay in pennies just to be petty. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I'll donate a few pennies, Lane's way. Let me ask you, what is the thought right now among the Auburn fan base? Because I'm seeing from Alabama fans and Georgia fans and people across the conference who are going, "God, Auburn is so freaking lucky." All these. Lucky plays they're getting, and the refs are calling everything their way. I mean, look, let's not act like Auburn's not getting penalized week in week out. They are, but they've had some lucky breaks, you know, a couple of them that really went their way in big moments. Yeah, and I think the one against Ole Miss is a bigger deal than the early whistle with the whole backward snap debacle with Bo Nix against Arkansas. Um, I think this one's a bigger deal just because they flat out got it wrong. And so, um, a lot of folks are saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. It should have been a touchback, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, hold on, Auburn fans. If this was the other way around, you would not be dismissing this as quickly as you are right now. So a lot of the Auburn fan base is just, hey, cool, that's great. Another part of the Auburn fan base is saying, oh, my gosh, this is the most Gus Malzahn thing in the world. You know, he does whatever it takes. It's just like the universe does whatever he possibly can. To, uh, to keep him uh, for, from getting fired at Auburn. So um, pretty pretty interesting split as far as, you know, folks that are that are pro-Gus and, and against Gus. 
Yeah, the only thing I'd say on that is if Ole Miss, Ole Miss had just taken the lead, right? They they went up by one uh, on the touchdown with five minutes to go. They kick off. If if they do rule that a fumble and recovery by Ole Miss in the end zone, they're yeah. probably just kicking the extra point, and they go up eight. Auburn's still in that game. I mean, Auburn can still go down, do what they did with Bo Nix, and tie the game and maybe go to overtime. You know what I mean? So that one isn't as much. The one you said about, uh, you know, with Bo Nix with the spike against Arkansas, if they call that one, it is game over. They lose that game to Arkansas. So that's where I think they differ a little bit. But yeah, I'm. I, I just I can't automatically say Ole Miss wins that game if they recover because it's still five minutes left. Auburn down eight. They could still go down and tie it. Um, I'm curious your thoughts though on the fallout here. I, I love that the SEC calls Lane Kiffin the other day and, and apologizes and said, "Look, we got it wrong. Uh, we yeah. apologize. Oh, by the way, don't say anything about this phone call or we'll fine you." I think it's a little silly, and it's not just the SEC I'm harping on, but this is across all of sports. We see it in the NBA. We see it in the NFL. Is you're not allowed to criticize the referees? Why is that? Why is that a rule? <laughs> because it feels like every other job you're able to criticize people when you think they do a poor job. I don't understand why you get fined for doing it. Right. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, he comes out and says, hey, the SEC messed up. Then the SEC comes out and say. Hey, we messed up. Also, Lane, we're finding you for saying the same thing we just did. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. I'm a I, I'm a big fan of Lane Kiffin, and you know I, I like kind of you know the the transparency that you see a little bit with him, just in the fact of you know he's not you know always going to do the whole coach speak type thing that you see in a Gus Malzahn or a Nick Saban or a guy like that. So I love that aspect of um, his coaching style. I think his, his players do as well. Um, he probably should have let off a little bit. Some of his players are tweeting at him like, "Hey, coach, let's let's chill off, you know, just a little bit." But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> let, let's get back on Auburn a little bit. We know, obviously, uh, you know the the week one against Kentucky, they catch the the lucky break, uh, you know, with not getting the Kentucky touchdown. But then they, you know, I think that's reciproc- reciprocated on what should have been the pick six gets called back. The Georgia game wasn't close. We know that. They they eke out the win against Arkansas. The South Carolina game they had a chance late. They're you know they're right there at the goal line. They can't punch it in to try to tie it, and send it to overtime, and then Ole Miss. We know how this one ended. What are Auburn fans feeling right now with this team three and two? Is it? Do you feel lucky to be three and two? Do you feel like this team should be better? What's the What's the thought process on this team right now among the fans? It, yeah, I mean it's kind of split. You know, similar to the you know it depends on how you view Gus Malzahn. Um, you know, I, I don't think any Auburn fans are buying into, you know, there's, a, there's this kind of notion that Auburn deserves to be winless at this point because there was this weird storyline after the Kentucky game where it's like, okay, well, Kentucky had more yards. Kentucky was better. It was like, no, Auburn was two scores better on that game. You know, you look at the scoreboard. Um, but th- there's a lot of Auburn fans that think, you know, this team should be, what, one and four at this point in the season. There's also... The, you know, the kind of the, the sunshine pumping side of it is, uh, you know, hey, Auburn, Auburn could be 4-1. and one. Um, But, you know, just on the other side of the coin, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think this is a 3-2 and two team. I think that's kind of what they deserve. You know, I look at the Arkansas, you know, controversial play much differently than the Ole Miss play just because I think when the whistle blew, I think Shedrick Jackson would have played it on the football. So that's just kind of... You know, um, you know, we'll never know. It doesn't matter. We'll never really know the answer to that. But uh, it's split. You know, I know that's kind of a, a cop out answer, but that's I think it's the truth. And it just 
It's just dependent on, you know, if you believe Gus Malzahn should be Auburn's quarterback or Auburn's uh, head coach or not. That's that's what it comes down to. Well, when we look at this game this week, you know, obviously we get a bunch of games in the conference back this week, but um, all of them are double-digit, you know, games, uh, heavy favorites in all these games except for one, and that's LSU-Auburn. I was a little surprised that when the line opened, LSU opened as a as a favorite in this one. I, I know they just looked a little bit more like their, their normal selves this past week and did so with an impressive true freshman quarterback at TJ Finley at home, but that LSU defense still has a lot of holes. They still have issues. I just, I mean, if anything, I would have put Auburn as a one-point, two-point favorite at home. Were you surprised seeing LSU open as a favorite on the road? I was, I was, yeah. And I think you and I had kind of a similar outlook of what Vegas would do on this. Yeah, we both missed it by a few points there. You know, uh, LSU, with, with questions of the quarterback position, you know, and I, I, I think we agree that there's a lot of talent with that young guy, but He's going on the road for the first time. I mean, it's just totally different. And also, like, Auburn plays really well at home for the most part. Um, there are very few situations where I will pick against Auburn playing at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Now, I, I'm never picking them to win in LSU ever again until it happens. But, <laughs> you know, as, as far as Auburn playing in Jordan-Hare, like, they're probably going to win that game. Unless it's against Georgia or Alabama, you're probably picking them. And I think they're going to win on Saturday. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be really weird. I mean, Auburn LSU at Jordan-Hare Stadium on Halloween is going to be a weird football game. That's just how this rivalry is. Something's going to catch on fire. Hopefully uh, hopefully everyone stays safe. But, I mean, you know, that, that's just kind of what this rivalry has become. So I think, um, I think as far as what you're looking at with this game is, like you said, I think two defenses are trying to find itself. I think Auburn's defense is a little bit better than LSU's. Um, and on the offense, I'll take LSU with the inexperienced quarterback um, going against Bo Nix just because he still hasn't really found himself. He looks really, really good against Ole Miss, but a lot of people will say, okay, cool, he had his most efficient game at quarterback at Auburn, but it was against uh, a team where you could say they're the worst defense in the country, not just the SEC, but I think Ole Miss is the worst defense in the country. So what does that mean? How does that translate? I was like, well, there's a lot of bad defenses in the SEC this year. So can he do that again? Yeah, I think he absolutely can, especially at home, depending on what LSU's going to do. I think LSU's going to be able to take Seth Williams away a little bit better. And I've been very critical of Auburn's number two and number three wide receivers, whether it's Schwartz or Eli Stove. They haven't really stepped up this year, and I think that's really what it's going to come down to. They're going to be able to run the football. Tank Bixby can run on anybody. I'm convinced of that. But uh, how are they going to take that next step with the passing game if LSU can take away Seth Williams? Well, that was going to be my next question, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit on on Tank Bixby. But a big question coming into the season was who is going to be that workhorse at running back for for Auburn? I know some people said, okay, maybe it could be Sean Shivers, DJ Williams. Who's it going to be? Tank Bigsby, man, I mean, three weeks ago, he just takes the the SEC by storm. And I couldn't believe this last weekend, they come out the first drive and it's Sean Shivers, and I'm going, guys, no offense against him, but Bigsby's the the workhorse. Give him carries. And then we saw the train get rolling as the game went along in another you know ridiculous day, and now here he is over 400 yards rushing. Uh, how impressed have you been, or how surprised have you been that, that Bigsby has kind of grabbed, the, grabbed it by the horns as being the featured back now? I've been very surprised. I thought we would see this version of Tank in the last quarter of the season. I think he's a few weeks ahead. And a lot of that had to do with, I mean, Shivers won the job in, in fall. All we heard 
was Shiver, Shiver, Shiver. And Auburn fans are like, where's Tank? Where's Tank, this stud that we heard nothing but good things about over the spring and the summer and, you know, following his recruitment? Like, where is he? And all the coaching staff and all of the Auburn players, when we had chances to talk to him for media availability, was, you know, Shivers is killing it. And he gets hurt against Kentucky, and you see a little bit of DJ, and then they start working in Tank Bigsby. And even against Georgia, it's like, wow, Tank looks really, really good, even though the offense stunk. But it's like, you saw Tank making, uh, you know, creating separation, running through contact, and it's like everything he does, he does it really, really well. And as far as Shivers coming back finally, uh, you know, from, from that injury, um, I think this is just a Malzahn thing. He really, really likes to kind of tip the cap to upperclassmen, and I think that's what this is. Shivers is a, a leader in the locker room. The team really, really responds well to him. So I think that has something to do with that. But, I mean, when, when you look at it, it's like starting on a basketball team. It's like, where are the minutes? And for running backs, it's where are the touches? And, and Tank had over 20. Shivers, I think, had 11. I don't have that in front of me. Bo had 10. DJ Williams had one. I think DJ would have had a few more if he had not got dinged up on that one carry that he had. And I think that would have cut into Tank's workload a little bit. But I think that's kind of the right ratio that you want to see. But as far as, you know, how impressive it was Tank, I mean, he does a lot of stuff that you don't really expect a true freshman to do. And, I mean, he has this, like, lean. He kind of leans forward and anticipates the contact when he's going through the line of scrimmage. And then he's, like, able to, to maintain his balance. And he's, like, constantly looking for the next, you know, battle of contact. And uh, he, he's always kind of, you know, a few steps ahead of the defense. He's been really, really good, really, really impressive. And he's running behind an offensive line that's gotten better every single week post-Georgia. So um, the big thing for Auburn's running game has been the coaching and the play calling. I mean, you, you look at it, and all offseason, Auburn fans were so pumped about Chad Morse coming in, and the Auburn fans were like, thank you, we're finally going to quit running the football, and we're going to start passing it more. Malzahn is abandoning his run-first style of offense bringing in Chad Morris. We've got all these exciting receivers. We've got Bo Nix coming back, the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. We're going to throw it everywhere. We're going to make these defenses defend every blade of grass. And then the first few weeks of the season, everyone's like, why aren't we running it more? And it's like, you've asked for this. You've begged for this. It's kind of the sick joke that we've seen. And so going into Ole Miss, the big thing was like, okay, it's clear that Auburn's strength is running the football. Can Chad Morris do that? Can Chad Morris call more running plays than passing plays. And he did it. He did it on Saturday against Ole Miss. Once again, the worst defense in the country in my eyes. Is that trend going to continue? Because I think they can run it on LSU. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's going to kind of be the thing to watch is just play calling. What is Chad Morris going to do with his offense moving forward? Talking with Zach Blackerby, locked on Auburn. Uh, I was surprised to see LSU has won 10 of the last 13 in this rivalry because it feels like they're always close. Auburn has won two of the last three in Auburn. But, Zach, doesn't it always feel like these games are always like 27-23, always low scoring? I think it'd be wouldn't it be just perfect if this, this game this weekend's like 45-41? I mean, we talk about both teams having some issues on defense. I mean, certainly would, wouldn't surprise me. Let's talk fallout, though, if Auburn loses. What I know the most Googleable thing in, in Alabama the past few weeks has to be Gus Malzahn and buyout. We know the dollar figures. We know the the ramifications of what it would cost to buy him and the staff out. And we also know the team has been taking a bus back to uh, back from some of these road games to kind of save cut costs and save money. 
do you see, I mean, if things really go sideways and they finish below 500 this year, is it a legit conversation that Gus could be gone? Or do you think just the the money that would have to be involved, it's just not even in the realm of possibility? I just, I, I think back to, you know, hearing from all of these boosters and all of these folks that have had season tickets for years and years and years not getting them this year because, you know, it's getting all these letters still asking for donations saying, hey, we need every dollar that you are willing to spend to help keep all of these programs up and, uh, you know, paying all these coaches. And I just think it'd be a really bad look to say, hey, we need 20-plus million dollars. We got a donor to give us 20-plus million dollars to get out of this, this, this contract with Gus Malzahn. It'd look really, really bad. Now, as far as fallout from this weekend, the most talked about stat is how bad Malzahn is against the big three, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. And uh, it's not good. It's not good at all. And so when you look at that, it's like, all right, you already lost to Georgia. If you lose to LSU on Saturday, I don't think there's any way to go to Tuscaloosa and win the Iron Bowl this year. It's like, all right, another year of going 0-3 against the big three. That's a big deal. That's an absolutely huge deal, especially for those folks that are in Alan Green's ear. Now, we don't know how Alan Green responds to these situations. You know, Auburn's athletic director, we haven't seen that. He hasn't had to make a big hire. And I think, you know, his biggest hire that he would have had to make was softball and women's basketball. It looks like both of those programs were kind of trending down, and he was going to let go of those coaches. But then COVID hit, and he's like, all right, whatever. We'll deal with it next year. (laughs) So he hasn't really had to replace anybody. I think he's had to hire a women's golf coach and a tennis coach, and that's it. And so we don't know. We don't know what he does in this situation. Um, as far as uh, the finances of it, though, I, I just don't see how it's plausible. I don't, I don't see how you could sell that to your fan base to make sense. Now, the argument against that is, okay, if you go 5-5 five and five or, you know, 4-6, and six, if they just kind of totally fall apart and lose out or whatever, um, I think the argument against that is, okay, well, you're going to lose a ton of money on season tickets because nobody's going to want to go to the games next year. And I disagree with that to an extent because I think people are going to be so ready to get back into Durham-Hare Stadium and kind of experience a normal game day again. (laughs) I'm a little hesitant to go along with that, but I definitely see where they're coming from. So there's going to be a lot of conversations with people that make a lot more money than (laughs) than you or me. (laughs) Um, And uh, they're going to figure all that out. But, I mean, I guess in short, the answer to your question is I don't see it happening, but there's certainly some powerful folks that want it to, so we'll see. Zach Blackerby, Locked on Auburn is the podcast. Uh, let everybody know what you got going on this week on the pod. Yeah, looking ahead to Auburn and LSU. I, I think the Tigers are going to win. <laughs> <laughs> good good prediction. Uh, yeah, I also think the Tigers are going to lose. So, yeah. But no, just as kind of breaking down the individual matchups, um, you know, what Malzahn is saying to the media. And how they respond, uh, Auburn lost a key injury in their offensive line, Brandon Council out for the season. So what do they do up front to kind of move guys around and get guys in the right spots? And how can they create holes for Tank Dixie to run through? So we're going to break all that down and more throughout this week's Locked on Auburn. Also, basketball on the horizon. And so uh, a lot of excitement for uh, Bruce Pearl's team on the plane. So, yeah, starting talking a little basketball as well. Zach, always good to catch up with you, man. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks, man.
All right, Zach Blackerby there, Locked on Auburn, is the uh, the podcast. He does a fantastic job. We encourage you to check out all our uh, brethren around the SEC on their Locked on podcast. Uh, we tell you all the time about uh, John Neighbors, who was on with us last week, does Locked on Razorbacks. Of course, we've got Locked on Gators, Locked on LSU, just about every SEC team covered with a Locked on channel. And that's our uh, forward promote to tell you to go check out all the other podcasts as we uh, wrap things up here on today's episode a reminder to subscribe if you have not like i said we're here for you five days a week and always um talking all things sec and particularly sec football this time of year you want to be subscribed because later this week you got some great guests that are going to join us expected to be joined by spencer hall who is now part of the thinking out loud crew on sec network really looking forward to uh, catching up with him and many more great interviews throughout this week as we gear up for week six in the SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.